I'm a human. So it's not like I'm like, yeah, let's fail. I love that. I love just like being shot down in flames in front of an audience of people. But it doesn't really terrify me or shake me to my core the way it used to. And there's a few reasons for that. process piece, conversations about the work behind the work with diverse artists from all over the globe. My name is Ruby Josephine Smith, and not only am I the creator and host of this podcast, I am a choreographer and contemporary dance artist based in Tangier, Morocco. This is a podcast in process about process. I am not only fascinated by the creative process itself, but how to have better and more meaningful conversations about it. Join me in digging deep into what it is that drives a person to make art. Before this episode begins, just a quick reminder that most creative processes are unsustainable without some kind of communal support. This podcast as a process is no different. To support Process Piece, please consider contributing to my Buy Me A Coffee page at buymeacoffee.com slash rubyjo. These metaphorical cups of coffee go directly to the overhead costs of producing this podcast and my newsletter on a regular basis. You can also show your support by rating and reviewing on iTunes or by simply sharing this podcast on social media. Every little thing counts and I appreciate it all so much. Thank you. So we are still in the thick of quarantine and figuring out what to do with our ongoing lives, even when the world around us has changed completely. This episode, while it was recorded before everything hit the fan, is as necessary as ever because it might just inspire you to get your groove on in your living room, maybe it'll inspire you to try something new as a beginner, or even start up a business. Maybe all three. Training across New York, Paris, Berlin, London, Tokyo, Brazil, regional Australia, and her purple bedroom, Vanessa Marion Varghese is particularly fascinated with street dance and the way it is born outside of the dance studio context. In 2016, Vanessa founded Groove Therapy, aimed at making dance accessible to all walks of life. The program has brought dance to at-risk youth, indigenous communities, dementia sufferers, refugee girls, and the everyday person, using the political and healing foundations that these street dance styles are built upon, and mindfully appropriating it into new communities to help spark global conversation and cultural understanding. Groove Therapy also offers online dance classes, helping get your groove on in your own home. As a dance professional, Vanessa's other credits include an Adidas sponsorship and movement direction for Victoria's Secret, Nike, Bonds, G-Star Raw, and MTV. However, at the base of it all, dance for her has always been a way of finding more mental well-being. Vanessa is both a constant student in her life and teacher, and you can take classes with her through Groove Therapy's online platform. Check out her work through her website, vanessamarian.com, and if you want some dance classes, especially from your living room if you're currently quarantined, head over to courses.groovetherapy101.com. All of this is also in the show notes. In this conversation, we dig into Vanessa's background in dance, how her past and various studies and interests now inform the whole package of her present work, especially when it comes to her relationship with failure, how she built Groove Therapy into the expanding creative business it is today. She describes a very practical piece of advice for artists and creative workers of any kind, which is building what she calls a happiness baseline budget. 
plus the joy of being a beginner and lifelong learner. I love Vanessa's passion and candor that she brings to this conversation and to everything that she does, really. She says she has a strong sense of self and that comes through in her words, inspiring others to be confident in owning up to who they are as well. Without any further introduction, here is my conversation with Vanessa Marion. Well, welcome, Vanessa, to Process Peace. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited. As you know, I, I like talking about process. So this is my yes. thing. So I always start these in kind of the same place. I like to go back into your history. And I'm curious to know, what is your first memory of creating something? Oh, wow. That's an amazing question. I, my first memory is more of imitating. Um, mm. And that came in the form of watching dance on TV, like so many kids do, and just copying what I saw there. And then because what I watched growing up in the Middle East was predominantly Indian dancing, Mm -hmm. I would try and like grab makeshift decorative jewelry and things like that, balance it on my head. And I was particularly fascinated with an Indian classical style called Kuchipudi. Uh, in that style of dance, you basically stand on a plate and balance a pot on your head and you mm-hmm. kind of navigate throughout the stage whilst standing on a plate, like shuffling forward. Um, so obviously, I, I remember my mom being a really great sport and, and helping me with these little steel plates and steel pots and um yeah, helping me on my dreams. That's very that's easily my first memory as far as amazing. As where did you grow up specifically? Oh, so I was born in uh, Sharjah, which is right next to Dubai. Okay. And then I went to school there and I only moved to Australia with my family when I was about five. Okay. So, so yeah, my, my, my earliest memories would have been pre-five. <laughs> okay. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible that you can go back that far. But it, But it sounds like <laughs> something really vivid that stuck with you. I love that. Absolutely. What was yours? What's your earliest? Wow. No one's ever asked me that back, actually. I think mine is also dancing. I remember that we we would we bought a new carpet at one point. This is a very specific memory, but I remember we bought this new rug for our living room and it was a round rug with these concentric circles on it. And I just I treated that as my personal little stage. And I would, we would put on this music that was, I think, like circus music. It was really bizarre with kind of clown sounds and elephant sounds. And I would listen to the circus music and run around the rug dancing, but also screaming at the same time. Um, so it was, yeah, very performative, very expressive, I guess. I'm not sure how old I was, but that always comes back to me as a, as a funny dance memory. I, yeah, I, I hear that story and I know exactly what it would have felt like, like mm-hmm. how that rug just feels like a stage and, you know, we all still do that as adults to an extent, you know, like we have those hypothetical conversations with that person in the mirror and, or in the shower or whatever it is, but it's like right. a whole new level of magic when you're a kid because you're not jaded by the world as you do it. I, I just know, I know that feeling. Yes. So, uh, I love that your first memory is of dance specifically. Um, were there other creative arts that you were doing when you were a kid or was it mostly dancing? There were absolutely other creative arts. My favorite 
place in the whole wide world was in an art mm-hmm. studio. Like more than dancing, actually. Like for me, my happy place always as a child was with, you know, colored pencils, paints, clay, uh-huh. you know, creating craft and art projects. And um, yeah, my biggest dream growing up was to be a Disney uh, cartoon animator. Really? I'd watch the behind the scenes and. I just thought it was the most dreamy job to work for Disney drawing. It just blew my mind. Yeah, so that that was my that was my 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 true love, and I always wanted to be a fashion designer growing up as a kid. Um, and I would spend hours drawing these horrendous outfits. Uh, so yeah, that that was like my that was like my my first love. It it was never dance actually, which is bizarre. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I had heard that and read that about you, that actually you worked in design, you worked as a brand manager, as a producer for a dance company, and I believe you even studied law um, before kind of going into dance as a career. Um, and I find it so interesting because you so you describe a lot of those things as failures throughout your life. Um, and you kind of say, I, I think I heard, I read that you said you tried everything else first before coming to dance. So how do you see all of these experiences as contributing to what you do now? Or do you see them connecting with your current place you are in your work? I, it's, it's so funny. I think a lot of creative people, when they find their thing, and that's like the thing that they're doing, even if, you, even if you're a dancer, but then you don't really know what your style of movement is, or you don't know what your, what your choreographic style is, and you're, you're trying to find yourself in it. You're, you're very much working from a place of references and it, it doesn't fully feel like you and it's never quite as good as you want it to be. And then one day you just make that thing and people are like, this is amazing and people really love it. And a lot of creatives I've, I've heard feel this sense of guilt at that point because to them it was just so obvious um, and it doesn't feel like a creative or revolutionary concept. And that's how I feel about a lot of the things that I've done that people are like, oh, but of course, what a great idea and how how creative or how ingenious. So I think what I've realized is that I love to dance and I love creativity, but I'm an entrepreneur first. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So I think I think that groove therapy is about the joy that I feel from dancing, but it's not about dance first. It's about running a business yeah and that's where I feel my skill set really comes in and I think I'm a people person I'm good at making people feel good in a room as far as like teaching that beginner dance class and I'm very values driven it just felt so obvious and this this sense of like I've cheated you know when people were in (laughs) awe of what I'd created yeah um and yeah I think that's a case for a lot of people actually from from speaking to a lot of creators I think that's yeah. actually quite a common thing. Yeah, it's kind of almost like a mistake that you stumble into it and then suddenly you have this creation that everyone's in awe of and for you it just it just kind of popped up and it was just a random idea and yeah, it's it's really interesting. Yes. And then there's the things that you really dream of doing and they're such big things and you don't quite know how to execute it or you never get around to quite doing that thing that you always talk about one day doing. So that's kind of how groove therapy came about. And it's like, you know, when you go to law school and you're amongst people who are as competitive as they were, I mean, basic, law school to put, to give people a picture who who may not have gone to law school, it's basically like, you know, 
300 Hermione Grangers, but without the magic. So Amazing. it's like A-type personalities, competitiveness, like, you know, and lovely people as well, but high stakes. Even if it's mm-hmm. a little bit in your head, it's always high, high stakes and huge, insane workloads. So... Uh For me, after that, when I went into design school, I was amongst a lot of grad kids and, and, you know, some some post-grad and uh, what are they called? Like, oh, mature age students. That's what I meant to say. So, yeah, when I went into design school straight after finishing law school, it was a lot of young graduates. It was a lot of mature age students. And Uh there was a complete, it just kind of blew my mind, the difference in culture. It would be like, oh my gosh, we have to make a mood board and, oh, this is so stressful (laughs) that we have to, you know, render this thing and learn about how to like um, create like 3D models on a computer and and people were very overwhelmed by it. And for me, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the easiest thing ever Um, because it's fun (laughs) and the workload to me wasn't that much. So, right. so I, I realized that stepping into creative industries, I mean, if that was how it was in design school, which people were still really hard workers and incredible and talented, I, I mean, in the dance world, I, I don't know about your experience, but it absolutely floors me how uh-huh. little dancers are equipped for dealing with the world outside of movement literally uh-huh. as far yes. as emails go punctuality professionalism um in long yes. hours and going above and beyond and perhaps not always being compensated for every little thing you do in the beginning like there's uh-huh. a different mindset with dance and it's not dancers fault they're just not taught so that's been my right. so so i feel like you know working as a brand manager like you know getting a law degree, working in design school, like I feel like the biggest thing I took away from all of the above is a certain ethos and mindset. Um, so for example, with law, you don't you don't fluff around with things. You're a bit more direct and to the point and you get all the basics down first. Right. With design school, it's very much about how things come across visually, how branding works, how a story is told about something visually and that, that goes for marketing and that goes for art direction. And so, yeah, when Groove Therapy came along, it was just like, you know, yeah. I had kind of tried a few iterations. I'd, I'd done a couple of casual classes and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go off on my own. I'm going to do Groove Therapy on my own terms. Let's right. go. Yeah, and using all of the skills that you had already already accumulated from all of those other experiences. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting because I think I often tend to be drawn to other artists who have backgrounds in a lot of different things besides art, because I just think it makes you so much of a more well-rounded person. And like you said about the dance world, when you just grow up in the dance world and that's all you're exposed to and that's all you're living, it's so tunnel vision. And you're not getting those other skills that can make your career a little bit more outside of the box or lend you more originality to what you're doing. I mean, there still can be originality within the dance world, of course, but I I think you can just be a, a more well-rounded and more well-connected human being when you have all of these other experiences that you're bringing to the table. Yes. And also as far as dance, dance goes... I don't know about you, but um, because do you work more in the contemporary space or street dance space? Yes. 
I'm I'm 100% in the contemporary space. So I feel like with contemporary space, um, there's at least, uh, you know, at least in a performative sense, there's like a nod towards research and and you know mm-hmm. developmental processes where you tease out a concept or an idea or um, you know social right. commentary or whatever it is. Um, so so there is that, but I from, I can only speak from my experience um, in. Yes. A lot of the commercial sort of world, um, dancers are so in awe of the opportunities that <clears throat> I get and that groove therapy gets as far as like branded collaborations and music videos and commercials. Yeah. A lot of the times dancers will ask me, how do you get those opportunities? How do I get those opportunities? And it's hard to answer because I, I just I just turn up to so many different events and I'm in so many different spaces because I find them interesting. And I have so many friends who come from so many different fields, um, creatively and across science and education and mental health. And how can that not inform the way you approach your own craft? And I feel that gives something depth. And then in that way, that becomes your network. It is who you know. But then when I... I'm so scared of giving people that advice because they mean well, but then they go forth into the world with essentially a network-minded sort of focus Mm -hmm. in the way they approach people. And that's, everyone can smell that and it's gross. That's kind of, that's kind of, yeah, the trajectory of how we've, we've gotten work. Right. Right. No, it has to come from an authentic place of really just wanting to connect with the community and other humans. And I think that's exactly what you've done uh, with forming group therapy. And I wanted to get into it a little bit more. Um, I love that it's this organization, this program, where I believe you said that it's creating a space to dance for people who think they can't dance. Um, and I think it really I think it really brings dance back to its its roots, because dance is meant to be this tradition of bringing people together, bringing community together, of making just better human connections. And I think what you're doing is actually quite radical because we're in this age of really kind of egocentric performativeism, if you can call it that. Um, but we're all constantly putting ourselves out there in this performative way on social media and everything. Um, and I think what you've created is just something that goes against that. So I'm I'm just kind of curious of what it looked like to put that together and what were kind of the highs and lows of the journey to where, what groove therapy has become now. Oh, that's a good question. Um, there were many highs and lows with groove therapy after it started for sure there were weeks in which classes didn't sell and there were windows that didn't work out and there were um you know students who wanted refunds because they forgot to come to class and that's an awkward thing to navigate Uh because that's not our fault but you know administrative things and all of that stuff always yeah always you know but really the biggest ups and downs came before group therapy and group therapy is the culmination of all of that coming together and kind of be it's the it's kind of the light at the end of the tunnel for me and I feel Ah. prior to group therapy I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to be and what I wanted to create in the world and Uh I was searching and searching and I decided that law wasn't what it was but it had to be something creative and and that's that whole journey in which I speak about 
working as um, you know an art director or a junior brand manager as an intern for right. an inter- interior design company I've worked as a, a producer for both an independent uh, contemporary uh, performance and for a contemporary dance um, government funded body and I mm-hmm. and just none of it was working out for me and <laughs> none of it sat well there were so many of those jobs that I like it sounds very impressive but many of the jo- those jobs I wasn't good at them <laughs> amongst all of that as yeah. well like I, I think it, I think I should mention that there were some really toxic relationships with with friends or with bosses or with co collaborators and that's really that really scarred me at the time but it also yeah. it, it also works as a non-negotiable when you move forward and you decide to work on the next thing you're like never again and you know what you're looking mm-hmm. out for when you want to collaborate with someone when you want to bring someone on as you know um a co-director which we're about to do at Groove Therapy soon um so oh, exciting yeah it's so exciting but like that's I feel like that those were all the ups and downs it was finding myself because I didn't know who I was right I always think that I always say that kind of the first part of your creative career is figuring out what you don't want before you can find out what you want and of course it's a much more complicated thing to figure out what it is exactly you want but I think you have to go through all of those don'ts to even start to get there yes and and isn't it just so poetic when you look back at it in retrospect and then when someone's lost to themselves and they've come to you for that advice and that comfort you're like oh yeah this bit that you're going through that's just a thing you'll be better you know and then they hear your story right it sounds so romantic and it sounds so amazing I'm like no I lived in a share house and I just kind of like watched a lot of Netflix and I just had many unproductive days I didn't know what I was doing like it's not pretty and I think people need to understand that you know yeah exactly I also wanted to ask you a little bit more because I I heard you speak a lot about failure on the routines and ruts podcast that you were recently on and I wanted to ask you about that um, because I know you know when we're looking back at our past failures it can be a little bit easier to say oh well I can see now how this contributed to my current success um, but how has that impacted how you deal with failure in the present? Do you feel like you're better at moving through it or is it still a challenge that you face every single time? Um, that's a really good question. I have, I mean, okay, so I'm a human, so it's not like I'm like, yeah, let's fail. I love that. I love just like being shot down in flames in front of an audience of people. That's never fun. Of course. But it doesn't really terrify me or shake me to my core the way it used to. And there's a few reasons for that. The first is I know who I am just as a person. Um, And that has nothing to do with my career, the amount of money I make, the outfit I'm wearing. I just, I have a a fairly good sense of self and an open-mindedness and open-heartedness to changing and evolving and not being this Vanessa in 10 years time and mm. in that sense I mean you know trying to do an independent theatre work and it not being that good doesn't uh, shake me that much you know it's just a bit embarrassing mm-hmm. now that's the first thing sure and, and I think the second one is I have an incredible support network and I have incredible friends who are 
creatives and who understand what it's like and who don't judge, who collaborate, who give advice. And it's just, I've, I've learned as of late to enjoy the process more. So a good example of that is I've, I recently moved, movement directed a short film with my partner, Stefan, and mm. it, it's, a, it's a film in which we interview elderly people and then we got we took excerpts from those interviews and a music score was created by a very actually Spotify said that this was my favorite artist of the last decade so that was pretty amazing that's amazing who's the artist it's FKJ okay look him up he's amazing but and then I was and then I'm sort of movement directed um by interpreting those words uh spoken by older people on younger bodies and it was really such a fulfilling experience the crew we worked with were amazing the wisdom that we gained from the elderly was poignant and wonderful and the dancers that we worked with were um were very creative with the way they moved in a way that inspired me so much and made me see movement in in new and different ways that it hasn't been released yet and I just don't really care if it doesn't do well because I feel like (laughs) the world's a better place for how much I've grown through it and how I'm going to navigate through the world because of that experience you know Mm, yeah so and and I've had that a few times lately I, I recently went to India and I was a dancer in in a performance called Daughter's Opera and mm-hmm. that was about that's a that's a piece on gender violence and there was a lot of research around that i worked with nine other indian girls who came from all over the country different castes different socioeconomic backgrounds different religions different languages and um, we performed that show five times over three days. It was very exhausting. It was received oh well and, and <laughs> yeah. everything, but I that's not what I took away from it. What I took away from it was the perspective I've gained on the world and even my own life. Like to be in New Delhi, currently the socio, the, sorry, not the socio, currently the political situation is very tense in, in India. Oh, and wow. and yeah. we were rehearsing inside walls where outside the walls there were riots going on, people were being killed, buses were on fire. Um, oh my so, gosh. So, it, it, you know, I feel so forever <laughs> changed from that experience. Um, so if that had flopped, I don't think... I, I just couldn't have cared less because I felt so right. moved and, and moving forward in my life. Um, that is such a part right. of me and, and how I'm going to navigate through the world, you know? Yeah, absolutely. No, I think if you feel really invested in something and really connected to something, if you can sustain that feeling throughout the whole process, then whatever the outcome is to the public eye, I don't think it's it's a failure. I think that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It, it's also a mindset. Like, what do we deem a failure? And and it's very different in in certain... When you look at it through, like, a capitalist lens, it becomes very much about how much money, what your status is, what accolades you've achieved. And that's all actually quite great. Um, it's kind of nice to have benchmarks and goals and things yeah. to work towards. But when it's everything, it's detrimental. So Yeah, and I think you have such an interesting balance of that. I, I read that you describe your business model as Robin Hood-esque and I've, I've never heard anyone use that before in terms of creative work and I just love it um, 
I, how did you create that idea? And then how do you also create a balance between kind of the commercial and then more of the community work that you do? Um, yeah, so I, so again, this is, this is the past informing the way you move forward. I worked mm-hmm. at, in a government-funded arts program, um, sort of working as like a production coordinator. As wonderful as it sounds to, you know, to, to really care about the arts and it's not about the money and just it's about creating these like powerful messages for the communities and all of that stuff. Like we were over, overworked and underfunded and I see what that does mm. to people and it doesn't feel rewarding. You're exhausted. Absolutely. You don't, you don't, when something moving happens, you're not moved. You just break down, you yeah. know? Yeah. I talked to another dancer who talked about this concept of safety in terms of creating art. And what she meant really was this kind of sense of financial safety, because if you don't feel safe creating art, you can't be truly vulnerable mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, absolutely. Like you, and, and that's the other thing. When you don't have funding, you have to cut corners. And often that's through people work, people labor, you know? And that comes in the form of, oh, I'll just produce it myself or I'll just teach myself how to like design this logo, which is, look, I do, I do a lot of that stuff myself as well. Um, I've just come to realize that people these days with social media feel this need to turn everything they do into um, this performative activism flag. And uh-huh. I'm just like, let's just call X, Y, and Z what it is. It's our, it's our moneymaker. And yes, it, it has like a good, a, a, like, you know, good intentions. And everything we do has got like the ethics behind it. But that's the branch that makes right. money. And we're not going to try and dance around it. And, right. you know, and we can make that branch more ethical by making it more accessible in so many different ways, which we do. But that yeah. one's about money. And then when you're making enough money to fund your lifestyle and i'll talk about this in a second but i have something called a baseline happiness budget which is oh i'll just talk about it now yeah please i love the sound of that yeah it's just basically sitting down and drawing up a very basic budget about what your lifestyle is like where your money goes and understanding how much money on average you need per month to pay your rent to catch your subways to eat your food Um, to go out partying and to also put some aside for savings and it sounds like a lot but usually when you add it up you're like that's kind of achievable so my thing is to like aim aim to make that so that there's still the savings so I can invest and do all of that stuff and then with the with once I've sort of hit that budget I've now got free time and with that free time I can put that people labor into things. So that involves maybe turning up to community dance classes and not charging for it and not needing to pay my rent through it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at right now with yeah. as far as that that whole world goes. I just think we need to stop especially in the arts, we need to stop being so we need to stop feeling so ashamed about money and just own things for what they are and call them what they are not try and not try and brand everything as you know this this huge um activist movement um if it's not really that do you know what I mean right of course no you have to find that balance in your life what does that look like specifically for you at the moment 
In what way, sorry, in money or time or? Uh, in terms of kind of your working life. So what are you balancing to sustain yourself? And then what are the more creative community projects you're doing? Yeah, so uh, right now we, because I've just moved to New York, I'm putting all my time more into just taking class and turning up in a lot of different spaces and getting to know people because with community projects, um, we don't go for the missionary yeah. business model. You know, you have to be invited in. So the other thing right. is, you know, I'm only 31 or maybe 32. I yeah. can never remember. I'm in my <laughs> early 30s. <laughs> um, you know, I'm at this certain age and it's just kind of like, you know, I, I've got until, if I'm lucky, I've got until I'm like 80 or 90. Like things can take their time. So I'm just getting yeah. to know different facets of the New York community right now. And that's all I'm doing. So I volunteered for, for some time, like helping build props at my local Indian classical dance school. And um, I'm going to start learning how to teach officially because that's my main style. Um, Bharatanatyam Indian mm-hmm. classical dance is my main style. So um, the next step is to, is to begin teaching. And that will involve working a lot with like the toddlers and preschoolers, which is so cute. Um, oh, and there's fun. just, yeah, there's nothing glamorous about it. It's just turning up. That's all that's required of me. And then the rest of my time. So right, the reason that's what I, why I'm spending my time in that way is because predominantly right now, we're trying to restructure Groove Therapy, um, Groove Therapy's business structure so that it can run on its own a little more and run more seamlessly. All the processes are in place. Everyone knows what's happening. And when things are more efficient, you can spend less time on that stuff so that we can spend Mm -hmm. more time doing what all of us do best, which is teaching and holding space for people and dancing. So right now, um, we understand understand that to get there, we have to put the hours in uh, on the back end. So yeah, I'm, I'm putting in maybe like a... Probably still not as much as a normal person's work day. It's like 10 to... 10 to 5, 10 to 5.30. I think that's realistically how much we need to work, though. I mean, people who work, like, really long hours, how much do you actually get done within that time? I always kind of question that because I also, I feel like my days are a lot shorter in terms of teaching and working, but those hours that you do have have to be really focused and concentrated and productive. And Yes, and I think one thing that freelancers don't know how to do is work within 9 to 5. Because Definitely. For, so for me, I'm like, okay, so I teach these hours and they're all after our um, time slots so how do you shave off some time during your day but then try and keep the bulk of your admin your invoicing your tax your emails Uh between nine to five and I don't really answer emails on the weekends Um, that sets a tone with other people as far as how they can treat you and your time and it also sets a tone for yourself where you teach yourself how to switch off and I feel like yes. because we hire so many dancers for through agency side of group therapy, um, and I'll get an invoice that they've that they've like sent to me at three a.m. in the morning, and then I'll <laughs> get like another text being like, "Hey, like you know what? Do I bring a white top for tomorrow's gig?" And that's at like you know four thirty a.m. And it's just kind of like yeah, dan- like this is what I'm saying. Dancers haven't been taught yeah understand business <laughs> ethics and boundaries. You know yeah. I love what you said before, too, about how right now you're just taking a lot of classes and kind of networking and getting to know people in the city, because I think it can be kind of a scary thing to slow down the pace of life that much. Not that that's 
not doing a lot. Of course, it's quite active. But in terms of kind of moving forward with work, it might appear to be a little bit slower. And, you know, you're putting yourself back in the position of being a student and maybe being a beginner in some situations. And so I'm curious what that experience has been like for you. Um, Again, that experience has been exhilarating and wonderful and life-changing because my mindset was that I was just here to learn and meet people not because Mm -hmm. I was here to book the job because when you you actually understand this because you're a dancer but when you walk into a class and you're walking into the class to book the job or to be noticed by the choreographer your experience Mm -hmm. of that class is stressful yes absolutely yeah and and often there's certain studios that facilitate that sort of uh, environment more than others and I actually don't think that's a bad thing because um, whilst it may feel competitive it's because these dancers are hungry and they want to work hard for it and that's fine right. so I, I don't want to take that away from people but oh my gosh when you walk into that same studio and you're just there because you love the way that choreographer thinks and the way they create mm-hmm. and the way they interpret music and the way they give feedback and and just watching the way they move their bodies so that you can try and copy that and learn Uh how you know learn about their musicality it's so fun you know right you're just there for the joy of it yeah um so yeah you know I, I don't think I'm necessarily doing all that much differently to the person next to me who's also trying to network and get the jobs and book all the things I think like I understand that I would like to get work from all these opportunities but I don't I I have the privilege of having a company so I have an income Mm -hmm. and also I don't care if I never book the job maybe for the experience one day you know because I've I've got the financial security so for me it's it's the power of mindset just changes everything for me. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's what my yeah. has been. I yeah, I I saw that you described dance for you as kind of a form of escapism, and it's interesting because you've it seems like you've made kind of a conscious decision. You can correct me if this is wrong, but it seems like you've made a conscious decision to kind of keep that. Uh, escapism freedom in your own personal dancing and then make a separation between that and kind of your more business life and the way you run your business is that correct do you see kind of a divide between them or are they pretty intertwined yeah no that's absolutely correct and that's you know groove therapy is for beginners and I love watching mm-hmm. beginners um, in class because you can't look very good at anything that you're a beginner at like you if you're a beginner as a surfer, as a painter, as a writer, as a ceramicist, it's just not as good as someone who's professional. So you're just doing it for the sake of joy. And that's like such a nice and refreshing dance class environment. And it's not the environment of a majority of the studios and spaces that I go into. But admittedly, I'm not nervous to go into these studios. So I don't, I don't mind that we're sure. not, you know, partying and like doing icebreakers, you know, um, through the classics. So that's, right. fine. that's fine for me. Um, but then as far as enjoying dance, like these days I've started to get more and more professional gigs. But then again, because I've got the financial stability and I feel like I get so much joy from not just dance, but from reading, from painting, from watching films, Um, and discussing all of the above with my friends who are obsessed with all those things as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I just, 
I feel like now that dance opportunities are coming my way in the in the professional world, I can say no to the ones that don't make me happy or don't feel challenging for me. Mm. Yeah, I have the privilege of being picky. You know, if someone yeah. wants me to podium dance, I don't need the money, so I'm just going to say no. Or if someone wants me to be in this, like, low-budget music video clip, um, I ask for the treatment. And if it seems really weird and hilarious and creative and I have the time, I'm like, yeah, let's do this. Like, so I have that. <laughs> yeah, um, that's such a good position to be in. And But you've put yourself in that position. You've been able to build yourself up to that place to have the privilege of saying yes and no. It's a, it's a great thing. Yes, and, but, and I think also a recent study by the, the Foundation for Young, Young Australians on millennials and working, it says that the average millennial has multiple jobs it's 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 mm-hmm. a standard thing that your average millennial especially in the creative industry doesn't just do the one job and it usually takes them I think it, they said eight years from graduation of whatever it was that they graduated from uh to be able to being able to just have like a very solid income from the their main sort of thing and I think mm-hmm. that we need to remember that as creatives like you know, work out what your baseline happiness budget is. Yes, I'm going to be remembering that. <laughs> yeah, and like go work at the cafe um, and meet that budget so that you can still save, yes. you can still pay your rent and all of that stuff. And then look at all the hours you have free and you will realize that it's a lot of hours. Um, and in that time, just live your best life and Go to all the things, not just the dance-related things, but all the things that excite you because it will the dots will connect, even if they just connect uh, in the form of your mental well-being. Yeah. So out of all the things that you do, is there something that makes you feel the most creative when you're doing it consistently? Um, I mean, obviously, it's taking class. Taking class and jamming. So taking class is when the moves are dictated not dictated but taught to you right and then you would understand this as a dancer when someone asks you to just improvise it's easy to freeze if you're out of practice so the two um, hand in hand are are my happy place I really enjoy that and then again it's also so I don't just work in dance because I'm movement direct I work a lot in film so yeah Mm. I I feel creative when I'm reading and then in tandem with reading when I'm writing and then when I'm Mm. watching films and at the same time like deconstructing them with my partner who's a director and then being on set and then just watching you know the the DOP or the director's decisions and why they make certain decisions and often I'll even just ask and I'll ask you know I just I love learning it's just my happy place that's great. That's such a great place to work from, this open, always wanting to learn about everything. Because I think some people can want to show that they know everything. And I just love that you come from this kind of non-egocentric place of just wanting to learn. I think that's what we all should be doing, theoretically. Yes, and that wasn't the way I was as little as three years ago. So, uh, <laughs> Of course. Yeah. You know, so it's just like this, this new thing that I've relearned is that There's no shame in being a learner. Yeah, that's beautiful. What I think is so interesting about all of the work that you've been describing to me is it really is all about connecting with people and your ability to bring people together and to form connections between people and yourself and other people. 
Um, and yet it's all, most of it is through this lens of movement. It's as if dance is kind of your toolkit, I guess, to maybe use for, I don't know, maybe a higher purpose or a higher calling, not to get too spiritual about it. But I'm wondering if you have a sense of that at all. Uh, I think dance is just what I know best. I have seen people who love cooking and food do the same thing. And I've seen people who are incredible writers tell stories to the same effect. And I see directors who are incredible people, people, um, get, get the best out of people on set. So I think it's just, I just happen to know it the best you know yeah um but yeah whenever I whenever I meet someone who's and you must do this with your podcast you, you meet people who mm-hmm. are obsessed with what they do and it's just interesting yes. uh, but then on because you have your own thing that you're obsessed with when you feel their voice break or when you feel them describe something and then say to you I don't even know how to explain to you how great that feels you're like no but I know because I have that for right. myself yeah right exactly I think there's kind of two maybe ways of, well, there's a lot of ways of being an artist, but two that are coming to me right now are the sense of using your art. And like you said, using what you know in order to do something else that's maybe larger than the art itself. And then being an artist that is kind of doing art for art's sake, if that makes sense. And it seems like you're in the first category. Um, does that make sense? <laughs> I'm kind, I don't know if there's a question in there. I'm just kind of working it out, out as I speak. I, I watch a lot of artists do art for art's sake and mm-hmm. they create things that visually, visually look amazing. And I think a lot of people also, they like the idea of understanding art. And so because they can't necessarily understand it and it's very pretty and impressive, they'll be like, that's amazing but I'm very comfortable with saying that something didn't move me even if there's a lot of hype around it um Mm. and and I'm very comfortable with naming a reality tv show that that does move me more than so-and-so's artwork I'm, I'm very comfortable with controversial opinions because to me um I, I can feel if it's connected with me and that's that's not a, an ultimate truth it's just mine and I can't bring myself to create art for art's sake in that sense because I don't feel comfortable going to bed at night making money or getting that grant just because I just because of that reason but that also comes yeah. from the fact that I'm financially secure ish so sure. that's a luxury yeah. I have so I don't want to take that away from artists who are like I have to keep applying for grants and coming up with artworks because how else can I pay right. my rent I don't want to take that away from them but I can see it as well I feel. But there can still, even if you're doing that, there can still be kind of this underlying reason that you are personally always doing that work. And I think that reason can vary from person to person. Yes. And I see that too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and you can yeah. see artists who are great and you're, you're allowed to find some of their work better than others. And you're allowed to, I, this is the other thing. I don't like how elitist art can get sometimes. And in the beginning, mm-hmm. I remember I used to work with some sort of emerging sort of choreographers and dancers, and I didn't get what they were making. And I, I thought, and I think they enabled this thinking that it's because I didn't get art. And then I looked uh-huh. back at it in retrospect recently, and I was like, well, hang on a second. I'm, I have a law background, so um, I actually 
I'm going to actually read your synopsis again, your synopsis that I didn't understand. And I'm going to give mm-hmm. myself credit because I have a, an, a pretty good grasp of the English language, a great grasp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, say so. <laughs> if I do say so myself and I'll read it <laughs> and then I'll read it three more times and I'll be like, oh, it's nonsense. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I know exactly what you yeah, mean. Yeah, I feel more comfortable just calling it what it is. And I, I won't say it to the person. I just don't show an interest or bother trying to collaborate or whatever it is with them. And Fair. I wish them all the best. But, yeah. like, I think, you know, if you're not the arty type um, or you're trying to get into it, give yourself permission to just not like something. Because on mm-hmm. the other side, I've, I've looked back at so many things that I didn't like and I'm like, oh, but I understand it now. I've lived a bit more. I've experienced different types of pain. I watched that again and it meant something to me, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't force it because you didn't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel like your work has kind of this underlying why to it? And could you maybe articulate that? Everything I do has a why to it. And sometimes the why is just I need to make money. Um, but I'll call mm-hmm. it for what it is. <laughs> and yeah. my sense of self is in everything. So like, you know, I'll go I'll go movement direct a huge, probably million dollar campaign for a, for a commercial. And I'm there for the money, but... At the, at the end of the day, I'm only going to get them the best shot that they want if I can connect on a human level with the model and the director. Mm-hmm. So there's authenticity in that exchange. But I'm not trying to be like, this is, you know, my work is about uh, whatever, the, the human spirit and that's what I bring into every, like, it is, but like, I, sure. you know, I save that for community project. Like if I'm going to talk like that, I, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. But, you know. No, no, I, I completely understand. And I really appreciate your honesty about it too, because I think there's a lot of power in just saying, yes, I'm doing my why for this is financial stability. And my why for that is a different reason. I think there's a lot of validity in that. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm comfortable with it. So, and I understand it's hard to be. So I, um, I also give cut people slack for that. Of course, of course. We're all on a journey to figuring out our own whys. So uh, I have a couple questions that I like to ask everyone. Um, and so I'm curious if you have any daily rituals that help enhance the creative side of your life. Yes, organization, which is the most uncreative thing ever. <laughs> but so necessary. Absolutely. And having a respect for your own time. So I wake up mm-hmm. in the morning I have a shower, I brush my teeth, I have my cup of tea. I don't really look at my phone in the mornings and I make myself a nice nutritious breakfast. I pack for the day and then I come here to the wing, which is a co-working space and Mm -hmm. I work for sprints at a time. I'll go jump on the spin cycle that they have here or go for a stretch for like 15 minutes in between it all. Um, amazing that place sounds dreamy it's so it's so great and then and then I have a kindle with and I read books on there and that's mainly my commute to and from or I listen to a podcast um Mm -hmm. and then my time off is just time off it's like I go to I go to dance class I'll go out for a wine I'll go out I go out dancing um, with friends who are all non-dancers in, if you want to give people labels, they don't have sure. a, a professional dance background and they're always the most fun to go out with. Um, and that's my life. Like it's, it, it's, it's big enjoyment when you, 
for me, compartmentalizing really helps. Um, is there something that's really inspiring you currently in your work or in the current phase you are in your life? Uh, I just, I've, I've read a, f- a lot of books lately. I'm like averaging like one a week or one every two weeks. But one that's truly stuck with me is, um, a, again, this is a recent, this is a reread of The God mm-hmm. of Small Things by Arundhati Roy. Oh, yes. And so beautiful and I read it when I was a lot younger and it was cool it was fine but I read it Uh recently and it just it just shook me and a big part of that is because it's all set in Kerala which is where my family is from so when they slip into language when the, the way they address their aunties and uncles and all the sort of microaggressions that are prevalent in Malayali culture she writes about it and I've I'm so moved by it. I really want to write a screenplay for it. So wow. that's inspired, just my reignited my love of film. And I've found myself Amazing. like reading into researching things like script writing and, and film. And I watched the Oscars and was like, yes, Parasite won. So, you know, you can have a non-English based yeah. film win. And it's not about winning an Oscar, though I'd love to. I mean, who wouldn't? Mm-hmm. It's about um, if if people see something as having a commercial viability you can get the funding for it that's what it is mm-hmm. you know so that's what par- things like parasite represent which is so amazing um so that's right. what i've been inspired by lately reading yeah i love when those things re-resonate in your life you know maybe you read a book a while ago and it doesn't really hit you and then you reread it and suddenly it creates this whole new trajectory for yourself it's amazing Absolutely. And that's just what I was talking about before, you know, like that idea of let yourself not like art. And that's okay. Right. Yeah. And I think that speaks so much to not completely rejecting anything, you know, never saying never to anything. Yeah. But being able to say not for me at this point in my life. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And being comfortable with that. Exactly. Um, Is there anything else you're working on that you wanted to touch on before we wrap this up? Um... Look, Grief Therapy is set to expand in Australia to officially become an agency, and we're bringing on Amy Zhang, who has been my ride or die, um, you know, for Grief Therapy, and and she's been the reason I've had, like, mental sanity throughout this whole process. So it's only natural that she should step into the role as, like, a, as a director as well. And aside from that... Um, yeah, looking into how grief therapy is going to expand in the US and it's so exciting. Yeah, I'm very open about that. I'm I'm on the hunt now very casually for like good spaces, great collaborators, um event curators and I'll just see what sits. I'll I'll see what sort of falls into place from Perfect. there. Perfect. Oh, that's so exciting. Before an expansion is always a very exciting time, so I can't wait to see where it goes. I'm so excited too. It's felt really nice. It's been a lot of hard work, but I've tried to stay balanced, so it's okay. Good. Well, where can people find your work? Oh, okay. I would say for all things me, it would be Instagram, Vanessa Marion underscore, and you can find my website and all that stuff through there. And then if you're up for like a dance class, look, wherever you live in the world, we have an online platform as well. It's uh, grooftherapy101.com and from that website go look for the online course if, if you're not in Melbourne or Sydney and have a, have a boogie with us because it's just it's just a fun time to just let go 
It looks like so much fun. I was checking out the little trailers of the videos and it looks just amazing. I'm going to have to try it out. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. For links to connect with Vanessa, see more of her work, and take some amazing virtual groove therapy dance classes, head over to the show notes at rubyjosephine.com under the podcast tab. You can also follow this podcast on Instagram or Facebook at Process Peace and get these episodes delivered directly to your inbox along with a whole lot of extra inspiration by subscribing to my newsletter, The Sunday Pancake, Letters and Reverence of Creative Rituals. Head over to rubyjosephine.com slash subscribe. If you've been enjoying Process Peace, I would so appreciate you choosing to support this podcast in any or all of three ways. One, by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Two, share your favorite episode with a friend or on social media. And three, make a contribution at buymeacoffee.com slash Thanks again to Vanessa for sharing this amazing conversation with me. A huge thanks to Cooper Lee Smith for creating the original music for this podcast. And a special thank you to you, as always, for listening. Mm-hmm.